Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Unloaded podcast, uh, your pretty much only option for precision shooting podcasts in New Zealand. Now, this is episode 45, somehow we are still on the air um, with our minuscule ratings, but tonight, once again, Mark and Graham, and we are joined by Anthony Colley for the second week in a row. Um, Anthony has been in Australia competing in the two previous rounds of the um, PRS Australia series. So we're going to talk through um, round one, round two. Uh, they sort of went quite different from each other for Anthony. And so covering, you know, entering, traveling with the firearm into another country, um, uh, particularly anti-firearm country like Australia. And yeah, and how they run comps over there, difficulty, everything. So welcome back, Anthony. G'day. And Mark, you're there somewhere. I think he's muted himself. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll just crack right into it. Um, so first thing I'm going to ask you, Anthony, is how did you actually enter the the PRS series in Australia? How do you go about doing that? Like here, obviously, you just message to get and the why <laughs> and why. Okay. <laughs> do you want to st- do you want me to start with the why or the how? Why? Why? Right, so last year I sort of got in my head that I wanted to do something a bit different, um, and I thought, well, what? That's the next best thing to New Zealand. Uh, pretty close, I thought at the time should be pretty easy, and looked like pretty good series. So I thought, bugger it, we'll just just give it a go. And you know, I'm sort of going forward. I want to do a bit more overseas, sort of in the new, in the US and stuff like that. And it's basically I needed a measuring stick to see how we compare to to the rest of the uh, shooting world. You know, so I thought, well, that's close to home. Give it a go. You know, watched a bit of their stuff online, and to be fair, it didn't look. It didn't look amazing, you know, because they're restricted by the ranges they can use and and that type of thing. Um, but they've got to work with what they've got with their strict firearms laws um, and where they can and can't shoot. So they sort of, yeah, a little bit of it. I thought, geez, that's a bit weird. But then after being there and shot it, I thought, oh, no, it's actually all right. So that's, anyway, so that's sort of the why. I'm just wanting to broaden so, my horizons a bit. So, yeah, it's... It's a large place, right? Lots of open space. So they just can't go... Australia's large. They just can't go in the middle of nowhere and shoot a shoot? No. Anthony? No. Is that what you're saying? No. No. They cannot. They can... They've got very, very strict laws about um, even shooting on their own properties. You're only allowed, like... I think some states are allowed three or five people at a time and for a maximum of two hours, and you've got to tell local authorities that you're doing it and it's very very strict um (laughs) which is ridiculous because they've got all the space in the world you know and and they can't utilize it so it's a shame but that's just how it is there yeah yeah okay right so how'd you go about getting a spot essentially right so on the prs australian website um all the matches are listed there and they send you a notification if you're on the on the Facebook thing that um, you know a date and time that entries are going to open for a certain match. So basically, you have to be online at that time, and it's all done through the website. You, it's like purchasing something online from 
eBay or whatever. You know, you click on it and you select what you want. You select the class you want and you go through and you enter your, your card details and you hit buy now and basically uh, you get a, then get a confirmation email back saying congratulations, you've purchased your ticket for said match and, and you're in. So it's, um, yeah, effectively just buying a ticket is what yeah. they call it for the match. <clears throat> okay, so is it expensive? In comparison, yes. To, yeah, what's the yes. average cost of a match? Uh, two hundred and eighty Australian. It's about three hundred New Zealand dollars ish. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty, but it, but it's a two day match too. With it a, is, with, an hour's work in Australia. <laughs> with yeah. Friday sighting also, so there's two and a half days of range. Correct. Yes. Okay, so it's yes. not that bad then, is it? Like, um, it's a bit of dosh, but um. Yeah, okay, so, so you just enter a ticket, and um, did, it, did it ask where you were from or anything? Like, cause I yep, guess it asks yeah, ask for a lot of details, uh, your name, your address, your, your, your firearms license number for that state, which is, uh, I always just put in all my New Zealand details, obviously, and um, it seems to go through fine. There's nothing that says, oh, a valid, uh, an invalid firearms license number, because that would be a bit awkward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everything like that's fine. You just yeah, ask for your name, address, firearms license number, what gun you're shooting, and stuff like that, and it's, and it's fine. Cool. Oh, so, funnily enough, I'm actually playing around with the idea with a bit of help from from Jeff about um doing an online uh, sale for tickets. Also, um, so when you buy your ticket, you'll pay for it then. Saves me chasing up guys for like two months and. Um, and then them pulling out at the last second. Anyway, so it's um, anyway. I'm looking at doing something similar. Whether I'll go ahead with it, it's another story. But um, so in its format now, so there's several competitions. Has it been a recent thing that they've sort of got this organised over there with the PRS series? I think they do, had their first you know? series in 2019, I believe. Okay. Was it 18 yeah. or 19? But um, and then COVID stuffed it for a couple of years. So really, they've yeah. only had one one full series. Yeah. Last year they had one match total. Um, right. And this year they're having a proper full series again. So they've it's it's pretty new. Um, so yeah, really, this is only the second full series for them. Yep, and Tasmania is obviously a, a new comp added in, for example. Yeah, this is, well, the DJ. Sydney one just Sydney one just been was a brand new match as well. The Tasmania oh, yeah. one coming up is brand new match. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how many were in the other yeah in the other series, yeah. but this one yep, there's yep, looking yep. to be seven seven matches plus the finale. I, I think so. I've all, just all two da- all two days. Yep, all two days. I, yep, I yep. believe okay. being two for a two day thing is a requirement for PRS rules. Something along those lines. Um, so there, just to fact check, 2017 was their first exhibition match, 2018 was the first series, which was four matches, and then 2019 was um, six. And then obviously um, the COOF happened, and um, you know we, everyone lost their jobs, and we got, got a cold. And then 2022 is their first proper big, big one, so it's pretty cool. So it looks like they've been doing well, yeah. I was pretty close to being right. So you was a year out. Very, very, very close. Very good. Very close. Um, yeah. It, it, they seem to have things. I wouldn't call it fact checking, Anthony. It's just being picky. <laughs> Anyhow, um, <laughs> so now the next thing is going to be um, you want to get your rifle to Australia. So, do you have to get 
just permission on the Australian side or the New Zealand side? How does that work? Both. Um, so this this t- was harder than expected, um, and it was hard from for for everyone, like the the match directors over there and me, because none of us knew the requirements because of the of their first international competitor they've had come over. And I'm sure lots of people in New Zealand take their guns, you know, like people do it all the time for F-class and trap shooting and shotgun stuff. And But I didn't really know who to contact. Um, no one I knew knew who to contact, so we were sort of just making it up as we went. Um, found what we needed online. Um, we thought we did. And turns out there's very, very, very strict time frames about when you have to have something applied for. And so both, the first match that I went over to was in Victoria. And uh, when you looking on the application form, it says 28 days, you have to have this filed before 28 days you know, of, your, of your trip. And part of the requirement um, is getting an invitation from the club where you're going to shoot. And that proved quite hard to get. Um, and they weren't sort of... Requ- they weren't sure, you know, well, aware of how urgent it was. So by the time I'd filed the application, it was about 26 days, I think, before my trip. And that turned out to be what tripped us up. Yeah. Um, so it's three different forms, uh, basically an import permit to get your firearm and ammunition into Australia, and then basically uh, a permit for myself to be able to shoot on those designated days so everything you're only allowed to have the firearm there on the days that you you know of you you have to have your flights pre-booked and everything that always has to be on the permit so basically the whole trip has to be organized and paid for and you need an entry and an invitation from the club before you apply for your for your permits um so you have to really be lined up and unfortunately that match only sort of opened for uh, six, five to six weeks before uh, the entries before the actual match. So we really only had 10 days to get everything in order. And, um, yeah, everyone was, well, including myself, was just a little bit casual about it. And even though, yeah, we'd... So we got paperwork in. Everything was appeared to be fine. They emailed me back about... Uh, 10 days before and said no we need one more form and a couple more bits of identification so I thought great we'll get that through and then it should be no problem so I got that back to them and they said great thank you um, and so hadn't heard from them about 3-4 days out so I gave them a, this is the Victorian police uh, I gave them a call and said hey what's the story have you received everything and they said yeah everything looks good we're just waiting for Chief Commissioner approval to be able to send it, you know, signed off and send it back to you. Um, I said, okay, when is that likely to be today, tomorrow, next day? You know, I'm going in three days' time. I need it by the Wednesday night because we're leaving home at four o'clock Thursday morning and I need to know if I'm taking my firearm or not. And um, they said, oh, we can't tell you, ring us on Wednesday. So I thought, shut, this is cutting it fine. So rang them back on Wednesday and they said, no, it's, everything's still there. We're just still waiting for approval. Um, we cannot uh, confirm whether that'll be today or not. So at about then, I decided that, well, I can't take my rifle, obviously, because I've got no permit. 
um, and yeah, it turned out it was there on the uh, Friday morning once I was in Australia, it landed on my emails. So it was a day, two days late effectively, but we were two days late applying for it. Okay. So so you landed and then the permit come through from Australian, Victorian police? On the Friday, when I woke up there Friday morning, it was, it was there. <laughs> oh, so. bugger. Okay. Came through, came through the came through the Thursday night. I flew to Australia on the Thursday, yeah, and uh, must it must have got sent out in an email overnight, and woke up to find it there on Friday morning. So that made me super happy. Yeah. So <laughs> obviously, this isn't going to do your your mental headspace any good going into the comp. But the the more pressing issue is you don't have a firearm. So how did yes. you go about sorting a replacement rifle? So we'd obviously on the Wednesday after the phone call with them, I'd just, I th- well that's it because I can't um obviously can't take mine. So uh, I emailed Rusty, who's the uh, organizer of the Pair Australian series, and said, "Hey, uh, this is the situation. I've got two options: either I don't come, or hopefully someone can find me a rifle, a loaner rifle." And he said, "No, just." get on the plane we'll someone will have a rifle for you oh wow i said i said okay we'll we'll just do that so i took unbolted the scope off my gun uh, threw it in my carry-on took all my normal gear that i'd normally use tripod bags everything scope just no rifle no ammo no clue what i was going to be shooting jumped on the plane and off we went yeah um so yeah by the time Thursday night came over there. They had, we had three options. I had a uh, probably quite nicely set up 308 and a Whiskey 3, Timney Trigger, it was 700 action, I think. Uh, Bartland Barrel, um, probably would have gone pretty good. Um, there was a brand new uh, Tika 6.5 Creed RPR. Tika 1. Yeah. Tech one Tech one not RPR. Thank you. That's a Ruger. That's a Ruger. Yeah, yeah, jeez. Yeah. Shows, shows how up to play I am with the other one. Yeah, Tech A1. Yeah. Um, beautiful, looks beautiful like, gun. Looks, looks like the RPR. It does. Except it's just and, and then a friend of the fellow I was staying with, um, he gave him a call. Um, Alex, who I was staying with, he gave Phil a call and said, hey, do you have a rifle? We've got our New Zealand friend, and he doesn't have a rifle. He's up shit creek, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, no, I've got a, um, I've got an AI six five Creedmoor that you can use." Was it and an AT? Was it? What was it? it was an AT. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah. And so that's the one. We they all turned up at the range, and I thought, well, uh, we've got factory ammo. All we had was factory ammo. Um, the the shop who was sponsoring that match gun sport trading um had a heap of uh hornady precision hunter 143 eldx so that's lucky isn't it it is well they had, i'll tell you what there's another topic but the australian stocks of everything are unbelievable compared to here there's just ammo and projectiles everywhere but yeah um anyway another story and they reckon they were short. They were like, oh, we can't, can't get anything. You know, oh, Jesus, how much, what do you need? There's everything here. <laughs> um, and so they had oh, like five or 600 rounds of this at the shop. So we sort of called in on the way and said, well, 
yeah, we'll grab 200 of that. And they said, oh, yeah, someone's already taken 200 for you up to the range. Um, so here's another 200 anyway. And just in case they've lost it or something, you know. So we thought, shut, hopefully uh, hopefully one of these guns shoots this, shoots this ammo all right. And basically timing for the sighting on the Friday was, you know, you, you're not allowed to sit there for hours and just rattle off rounds. You know, they sort of, you know, you shoot shoot what you have to do and because the range was quite small um, they sort of clear you out and get the next lot of people in so the first one I started with was the AI and put the scope on it rough ball sight because all you've got is a 100 metre paper or, or a little gong at 500 metres to check your data on um, so roughly ball sighted it shot a couple of groups was probably shooting about an inch and I thought oh that's probably all right, you know, and then they sort of cleared me out, and I came back in um, about an hour later, shot it again at 500, and sort of got some, by then the gong was stripped of paint, like, yeah, it was tiny as well, and you had no idea, well, not tiny, it was like a small Ipsic, it was two 200 mil wide Ipsic, probably 250 high, I suppose, so I knew I was hitting the gong, I couldn't see where, um, and that's all you're allowed to shoot at. So I thought, oh yeah, got, got some data, got a good zero, shoots okay, don't really have time to try all three guns, um, I'll just go with that. So I thought, yep, this is up, you know, didn't feel too bad, bit light, um, trigger was a little bit weird, um, just the feel of the gun was way different obviously, but I thought, you know, shooting MOA, probably be fine. So we left it at that, and that was Friday done, and at that point I was feeling pretty good about what was happening. I thought, yeah, this will be all right, you know. And, yeah, and that's about it for, for that. Oh, so, yeah. So that's not bad, like you say, minute of angle. Um, did you get velocities, or you just make, pull it out your ass? No, no I just put in uh 27-something for... <laughs> Yeah. for the 500 and I trued it up a bit and I thought oh yeah I've got something else to watch and they're like oh yeah it looks like it's hitting centre but you couldn't actually tell Yeah, um, I sort of aimed at the top and aimed at the bottom and if I aimed at the top I'd still hit it if I aimed at the bottom I sort of wouldn't and if you go somewhere in the middle was hitting it so I was like oh, I'll just pull a little bit more out of it you know mm-hmm. and as long as I'm within I was like oh, as long as I'm within a couple of tenths I'll be fine you know yeah and yeah, so I was happy at that point. I was thought, well, it's not ideal, but I've got to make the best of it because I'm here, and um, so we're into it. So and one thing I'll say, like, which I imagine was something to get used to, because you you don't shoot a heap of different platforms. Like me and Mark are silly, and we always muck around with heaps of rifles. Right, it's part and parcel of being a um, B grade influencer. But the thumbhole stock can be something that takes getting used to. It's a different style. Um, you're not really, not really maybe intended to rest your thumb on the side like we traditionally do now. Um, w- was that a bit odd to get used to, coming from a straight pistol grip, 90-degree pistol grip? It definitely felt odd on the Friday, yeah. um, and most of Saturday, to be fair. And just, just where the trigger is compared to the bolt on those AIs. Like you go off the bolt, and every time I close the bolt and go off the trigger, I just miss the whole trigger. Yeah, because you know, it's in a different spot. So I was like, okay, that's yeah. right. Well, I'll get used to it. You know, I just need 50, 60 rounds down. I managed. I fired about thirty, I think thirty odd on on Friday, 
with it. And I would like to do more, but we, as I said, we, the sort of small range, the bucking range was very, very, like the whole range width was probably only 30 metres, 35 metres. Oh, sh- okay, wow, oh, yep. And you're only allowed to shoot from a specific spot, you know, and it's all, it's all very, very strict. Um, as I said, you could shut, they'd stop the range every half an hour and people could go out and put their paper targets at, a, at 100 metres and you could do that. You couldn't have anything apart from 100 metres or the 500 metre gong that they had out there and there was nothing else on the range. That was it. And yeah. that's all you're allowed. To be fair, like we don't, um, occasionally over the years we've given a zero ring um, facility but we don't allow anything most of the time. Um, I guess I guess I didn't understand it when I first went there, but I do now after I've spoken to a lot of people because a lot of guys have nowhere to shoot. True, yeah. Um, so they turn up, you know, they can't check their rifle the day before or the week before without driving, you know, three or four or five hours to their nearest yep. proper range if they don't know anyone that's got a property. Um, and then it's so hard to even shoot on properties without proper permission depending on what state you're in i, I will say that uh, we have we do get the occasional sos before an event um where we will allow people to we'll sort something out for them to zero or uh in the long range shootout on the friday of our, our long range challenge they'll be shooting a 338 barrel and then we'll we'll facilitate them swapping to their 65 barrel on say a um a Sarko or a hybrid or Whatever the example is, um, we have done stuff like that in the past. Um, yeah, but it, we tr- <laughs> it's a big job for us at the time anyway. But um, yeah, okay, so that makes sense though, especially for the, the limited shooting um, opportunities they get. And and obviously for you, it was important because you had to build up build up a rifle zero, try and make some data. Um, yeah, yeah, fair point. Just so, even just just even zeroing it was because um, you had limited paper targets up there as well and you're like trying to bore sight at a hundred and then by the time you bore sight everyone else has shot the target. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit. Which one's you know, Do you know shoot how- oh which which one was my shot? Oh yeah. well we'll just guess, you know. But we got it got it pretty good. Yeah, um I am. Um, I'm I bore sight I I just I don't even like bore sight my scope to my bore anymore. I just <clears throat> put my scope on minimum zoom and I shoot at a hill face where there's like like there'll be like a little cow shit or a uh, a little hole in the ground or something and I just just aim at that and then just measure it and then that another shot that dials it into with like you know, an inch or something and then put straight on paper um, I've got super lazy with ball sliding but anyhow um, Unlu- you don't know how lucky you are because if you went and shot at anything you weren't supposed to over there that would be your weekend done no, before it even cor- started of course this is private <laughs> private ranges yeah. um, uh, so okay now that'll be Graham over in Australia next year yeah, nah, gone. Out, Sorry, gone. Nah. Oh, but I was just a cow shed over there on the hill. Oh. We don't, there's no cows. Oh, oh, it was a, it was a wombat. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now obviously the majority of the North Island matches are field through TLRS and GPRE, so quite a bit different style. We're starting to see some of the PRS style here, but it's in its own sort of form. What was the style in Australia? Like um, uh, props, shooting positions, um, target sizes, etc. Right, so we got you get given part of your Friday over there is you turn up, there's basically nothing on the range, and they, apart from your paper target and your 500 
made a target, and then they give you your matchbook at the end of sighting. And so it's the first time, apart from looking at some of the stuff online, that I'd actually you know, seen a whole match matches worth of stages. And I was reading it, and I was saying, okay, this time's quite quick, and obviously it's all positional off barricades and stuff like that, and, and a bit of prone. And reading through it, the target sizes, I was saying, shit, these all look, seem pretty small, you know, for that distance. And nothing was set up on the range on the Friday, and then we come back on the Saturday morning, and everything was set up, and targets were out, and was standing there looking at the props, and I was saying, oh yeah, these all look pretty good. And I was staring down the range, and I was like, wow, those targets are little. There was, um, I think, wow, we're going to have to, you know, shoot these positional with that time um and i was about the only one who seemed concerned about that so it's normal normal to them and they didn't look much bigger when you're looking through the scope so the target sizes and stuff compared to new zealand is um a lot different very very small uh, some stages have bigger ones but basically the biggest target that we saw all day was the skill stage target um which is about 250 mil circle, about 380 metres, which is, you wouldn't look out of place here, but looked out of place on that range because it was the biggest one out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, most stages have some sort of positional. Um, there's a couple of fully prone stages, but they're normally like a troop line or a, or a rack, but if it was the rack, your movement as well, just moving from one prone position to the other, and very, very fast times to do it. Um, no unsupported shooting at that match, but mm-hmm. there was some support side shooting, so left-handed, well, for me, left-handed shooting, and if you're a left-handed shooter, you'd have to shoot right-handed. Yeah. And... Uh, I'd sort of figured this out about uh, three days before we went. I sort of read it in one of the stage reefs and thought, shit, what the hell's support side? Watched some videos. I was like, oh, it's left-handed, right. Better practice that. So I was fairly unpracticed, but it didn't go too bad. Um, and you mix of prone and positional support side shooting. And, yeah, so you get a bit of that thrown in. So, yeah, uh, the style of the positional shooting is probably a lot different because the barricades are all very very solid um to the point where if anything had an excessive amount of movement uh fellow competitors would bring it to the match director's attention and they'd go out and brace it up better yeah um can you imagine can you imagine people complaining about our props yeah, no. Nah. Like, <laughs> oh, like this old rotten tree isn't good enough, and it's like, yeah, you're DQ'd, mate. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, it's foreign in it for us. Um, whereas we we but we prefer the terrible. Pro- anyway, yeah. That's what it is. But that's the difference between field shooting and yes, yes. I suppose proper. I'll say proper PRS. You know, that's I'm assuming. You know, that's what the American stuff is like as well, and it yeah. all looks to be when you watch the videos. It's all big steel heavy or big rocks you know it's all really really solid stuff um the australian stuff was sort of no different although all sort of makeshifts so they had to bring it in set it up 
and then half or well, quarter of the way through the day clear it all out, set up the new stuff because the firing line was so small. We could only have three, uh, three stations set up at once. Oh, I, I see. That's how they got around the short firing line. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. and even still, so three. That match was the bucket match was very very small. I think it was forty five people, um, and a very very popular match because it's so small. It's the smallest match, and it's only small because the range is small. Mm-hmm. They just can't fit enough people. So, and it sold out in twenty minutes, I believe, this year. Last year, it sold out in seven minutes, I think. Yeah. So it's their most popular match. Um, only because of the limited spaces. So we had squads of 13 or 14, I think, on the day. And so you shoot, and then a hell of a lot of downtime where the other 13 people shoot, you know, and then the, and then you, you do sort of two stages. They set up two stages. You do two stages and then uh, rotate. And then after six stages, you stop for while they tear the range down and rebuild it and then go again. So I think we ended up doing... Uh, eight or nine stages. Oh, it must have been eight stages each day, I think. can't remember, 16 stages total. Um, but, yeah, so the positional shooting, it's not about building the best compromise position you can, like New Zealand stuff, field shooting stuff. It's about building purely the best position and firing the best shot you can. Yep. in that time you've got um so very much uh very sort of yeah you need probably really good fundamentals uh, natural point of aim has to be really really good uh, for multiple reasons obviously you want to be on target as quick as you can because the times are so tight um second reason is everything is side by side so if you're five or ten degrees off where you're pointing and you look through the scope and you'll see a target for sure but it's not your target it's the stage next to you. And if you start shooting it, um, no one will say anything. So they will tell you, once your time starts, once the shot clock goes beep, they'll call impact or nothing. That is a, they won't tell you if you're shooting the wrong target. They won't tell you if you've missed. They won't tell you a correction. If you ask for time, they won't tell you. You just keep shooting until the buzzer goes beep again, and then you stop. So you mentioned earlier um, off air that they don't have numbers on targets, or they didn't at these events? No, none of the targets are identified <clears throat> at all. Are they at least different shapes? Some. Yeah. Yeah, some. They're either a square or a circle or a mini ipsic. Is that is that a PRS rule, or is that just purely they don't do them at these Australian I events? Don't know. I do not know. Just sheer laziness. Every, everything was sort of, uh, I suppose you'd say, in your lane. Yep. So looking straight down in front of your props, that's what you're shooting. So oh, you didn't have, you didn't have big angle changes and stuff like that. You know, you, your targets might only be, yeah, you know, five meters left and right of each other. Okay. But when uh, when you're under time and you're trying to get through it and you're yeah, because everything's a circle. Yeah, every lane's got circle targets, square targets, and little ipsics. And so you you jump on your barricade, and you pick it, look through the scope, and you're like, oh yeah, little circle, that looks about right. Bang, bang, bang. No one's saying anything. You're like, oh shit, that's that's fuck. not that's not my target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So it caught me a few times. Um, I think I shot the wrong target maybe three times for the weekend. Um, so that, so that, and the other thing is obviously flat square ranges. Um, all the targets are elevated like a meter off the ground. So if you miss, you really can't see where you're missing because by the time the bullet hits the ground, it's another hundred meters yeah, past. Easy. Yeah. Um, and there's little berms down the range. So normally by the time it hits the ground, it's behind another berm anyway. Um, so you really can't tell if you're missing high or low or left or right you just know you've missed yeah the only ones you could tell was the very back of the range the 500 meter ones because that's got a big berm and so if you're like a a troop line for example i think the first time i knew i was in trouble with that gun i was using was there Oh, might have even been our first stage, <laughs> which was, I can't I'll look in the book, at the book in front of me. Oh, I don't know what stage we started on, actually. Um, it was a troop line, and it had little uh, little mini Ipsics, and five of them, and beside them, they had a little uh, circle target, and the little circle targets were about one MOA. Yeah. And a couple of them, I think, were sub-MOA. Quite little, starting at about 300 metres out to 500 metres, and you had to drop to prone, had 90 seconds to put one shot on each all the way out, which I was saying, oh, this is, yeah, this is, this is good, you know, this is easy. And um, fired first shot, the Ipsic, no worries, fired the first shot, little target, nothing. I was like, right, I'm in the shit. Dialed for the second target, hit the Ipsic, went to shoot little one, nothing. Fuck, right on. And this series continued all the way to the end. Um, shot the last Ipsic, went to the little target, um, shot, and this was hard up against the big berm. And I was like, oh, shit, it's uh, quite high. Ah, sorry, low. Went low. And I was like, well, that's about point two low. And um thought, shit, well, that was my last shot for the stage, so too bad. I'll just true that data up off that. So I ended up having to pull about 80 feet per second out of it to get that point two up. And then the second stage we had was, uh, that we shot was a Know Your Limits rack, which was also prone. And I was just rubbing my hands together thinking, shit, yeah, now we're on. Like two prone stages for the, this is the only two prone stages for the whole match. And we get to start on them back to back. And so hitting the big target, which fine, and you're moving position every shot, sort of from one side of the barrel to the other. And shot second target, fine. Third target's getting down there in size now, and missed that. And I thought, oh, damn. I think that went low, right? I hold top of target and hit it. That was great. Then moved to the, so there's five targets on the rack, and you just had to double tap them. Or got to fourth target, couldn't hit it, swapped the other side, couldn't hit it. Uh, went back to the other side, had to stay on the same target, couldn't hit it. Back to the other side, yeah, couldn't hit it again. I was like, right, we're in a bit of trouble with this gun. And that target was probably sub-MOA or about MOA for the fourth to last. And um, that's when I realised it was going to be a long weekend. <laughs> when I basically got 50% of the score on the first two stages. Which were prone. Um, prone, yeah. And looking across the range, and I was like, right, there's some of these little MOA-sized targets on every stage, 
and all the other stages were positional. So, right then I was, like, felt a little bit uh, undergunned, I suppose. I was like, right, this isn't up to, this isn't up to scratch for this match. And I think for the whole match, we probably had 15 targets or so, 13 or 15, um, that were about one MOA or a little bit under. Yeah. Um, so it's basically, that was straight off the bat, there was 15 shots that I wasn't going to hit with that gun. Um, and, yeah, so not great. Um, and the rest of it was, then we got into the positional stuff and... Man, what a wake-up call! The speed in which that you have to move to, and watching the top shooters shoot, oh, next level, <laughs> definitely a big step up from from what we're doing in New Zealand time-wise, you know, in target size. How they could be so fast and hold on those little targets was at that match. I was like, I don't know how they're doing it, you know. It's um, a bit of an eye opener there. We had a couple of the top guys. Well, we're in each squad, so yes, and I didn't really know who they were. And then after that match, I did. And then when I looked back and thought about what and looked at their scores, I was like, well, yeah, yeah, no, next time I'll pay more attention to those guys. Um, yeah, just the speed and skill stage two is at every Australian match and basically at every PRS match, they have skill stage two, and for. I'm assuming most people won't know what it is because I had no idea what it was. Uh, basically, you've got a four-position barricade, two positions kneeling, two positions standing, um, and a 250mm target at about 380 metres, and it's pretty well standard across. It's exactly the same at every match, and that's the one they use as a tie-break. It's a time stage, um, so the idea is to get eight hits as from eight shots as fast as you can. Um, and so I dropped two, I think, on it, two, and I did it in 70-something, 70-something seconds, and, you know, I was sh- I was shaking around, the gun was shaking, I was breaking shots that were still on target, but they're pretty close to the edge, and that's sort of the accuracy of the gun, just sort of pushing them off, and... Um, and I thought I was going quick, and then when I was looking at the times for the everyone, literally everyone else, I was like, oh dear, we're <laughs> I'm about uh, 20 seconds off the pace, um, and those guys getting eight hits and doing it in you know, 50s, 50 seconds, 48 seconds, and I'm in the 70s and dropped two shots, so... Yep. So, um, and I thought I was going fast, but yeah, when you're used to New Zealand stuff, we... Uh, firing eight shots in sort of two minutes most of the time um, or more you, you get used to that pace because you don't need to go faster right yeah well there's no point because the skill stage so for those who again we don't really run it even our peer, official PRS matches they haven't run it yet um, you're timed also as you said and that's a tiebreaker and so so does it, do you think it makes people go fast to try and get that tiebreaker and see how cool they are or would you be better off for most guys just to go slow and get eight clean hits in a minute 30 or like try go fast and potentially drop one i think everyone does definitely the top sort of guys do try and do it at a reasonable clip they don't go hell for leather and miss as fast as they can but they're definitely doing it 
quickly um because most from what i gather and at that match uh there was two people tied uh it was ended up second and third was tied on the same points and it came down to the skill stage two yeah um at sydney match second and third also which was me and um and uh another fella called guy um we were on the same points and it came down to the time on skill stage two yeah so it is a um, good it is a good metric for splitting yeah positions right the way down i guess um yeah because their scoring is 1.1 hit yeah across the board so it doesn't matter you know oh, so you are you okay. are likely you are likely to get a tie somewhere yeah so instead of having so a hit at 300 meters is worth the same at 600 meters regardless yes. of complexity okay. yeah yeah yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we since 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 recently, you and I and Mark and West did some training on a skill stage two uh, replica. Um, and yeah, if I went as sort of fast as I could, I couldn't reliably clear it. Yes. Um, I'd drop one or something, so or maybe two. But like I say, if you slowed it down, maybe an extra <clears throat> second or two per shot. It's not that hard of a shot, but yeah. Anyway, it's um something new for us here well I, I basically when i came home so getting getting away from the match a little bit now but when i got um when i came home i built one because i thought well it's going to be at every match yeah and that's the one that we were training on and i've just been hammering it you know every time i go out for a shoot at home i'll just run the skill stage probably three or four times um during the training session to and try to do it as fast as i can while getting hit so my idea behind it is if i can comfortably if if i can get hits pushing myself and do it in the low 40s consistently at home if i try to do it around 48 to 50 seconds in a match it'll feel like i'm going that i've slowed down and it'll be really comfortable yeah um and so yeah i sort of push myself at home when it's and if i do get a miss or so when I'm practicing, I thought, ah, that was too fast, you know, or or was it just a shitty trigger press, or was I just shaking around and shit like that? So, I'd sh- but I've been trying to work on, and it's quite good to being good practice just doing that to um, speed up everything else. So then, because you do need to shoot a lot faster over there than here, because there's state there's some stages that would, you know. Most two-minute stages are all twelve shots. Um, there was some twelve-shot stages. In Ninety seconds, I think. There was a one couple of ten-shot in a hundred seconds. So basically, they're giving you um, ten seconds maximum per shot, including your position change and stuff like that. So. You know, it's whereas we're used to having 15, 15 yeah. seconds exactly. easy, you know. Yeah. So, how did overall, obviously, talked about a few issues you had and um, a few sort of wake up calls and problems with different rifles. How did you finish? How did you get on overall for the day? Um, first day went crap. I dropped, oh God, who knows how many shots and. Uh, yeah, no, I was. I would have been lucky to be midfield. Like incredibly lucky if I was midfield after the first day, and like I didn't probably shoot 
too bad, but compared to everyone else around me, oh, it was terrible. Um, I was the only one to miss basically all the little targets and uh, that type of thing. So yeah, I was not happy after the first day. I thought, shit, this is just a balls up. Um, and yeah, so not great. And then the second day went a little bit better. Um, that's there was sort of some longer, higher round count stages, um, some tripod stuff, a um, bit more movement, some sort of more sort of angled, you know, angled props and stuff like that. And I was more comfortable, and I'd got used to the gun, and the t- we didn't have any of the little targets. Everything was bigger targets on the second day. Still small, but not, you know, like two MOA or less type thing. But not there was no little. Hit one MOA ones on the second. Oh, bar a couple, I think. Um, so I'd, I'd went better on the second day, and I think I ended up in f- yeah fourteenth, I think, out of forty odd for the, shooters for the weekend. For the, for the weekend, yep. yeah, for the overall. Um, but yeah, my percentage of the winners' score was terrible. I was only sixty seven percent. Of the winners, of the winners, of the winners score, yeah, um, but <laughs> terrible, like bad. But um, Lucas, who ended up winning the match, he actually had one of those days that you know anyone would. I think he dropped one shot on the entire first day out of like seventy-eight rounds or something. Dropped one, yeah. Um, and wow. everyone was everyone was talking about it. they're like shit did everyone, you know did you watch him run that stage did you watch him run that stage he was just a machine you know didn't I timed it I think I timed out on thirteen of the sixteen stages as well no way yeah 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 like, I was just I was it was a big big uh, eye opener like yeah you know, I was you every, you think you're prepared saying that yeah I didn't have my gun who knows you know. Who knows, you know, I didn't have it, so whatever. But it wouldn't have sped me up any. I still would have been timing out, um, but I probably would have picked up a lot more shots, especially on the little targets. Um, whereas Lucas ended up winning by 20 hits, I think. Oh, okay. Back to, so, yeah. Yeah. so that everyone's scores got stuffed at, at, um, at Buckin because... I think so. The guy who got second was only on eighty-five percent of um, of the winner's score, mm-hmm. and the guy in second, Ash, had won the two other matches this season before that. So, you know, no slouch. They're the both the two best guys over there, and he only shot eighty-five percent of his scores. So, um, it really, you know. And of course, that that sixty seven is then my points for the that went into the series score. So that was just terrible. So I started the series in like fifty sixth place or something. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Okay, so so you went. You obviously, like we said, they didn't go to plan. You come home. You built um, a new barricade to re- replicate stage skill stage two. You started. You built a replica of Australia. <laughs> yeah, you imported some red sand to the farm. <laughs> kangaroo got some wallabies, wallabies. kangaroos. Yeah, um, but yep. no. And then you, you so you started um, obviously um, training to be faster, transitioning between targets, um, the skill stage stuff. What else did you do to get ready for round two? Apart from um, getting your permit in early, 
be all right. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So we're we're a lot better with that. Um, so that was um, new states, so dif- different permit. We're going New South Wales, the second one. So it was a whole another set of form. Yeah, you know, like uh, you know, guessing which forms we needed again and stuff like that for 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 the Sydney police. But that was a lot easier. We got in well in advance. They emailed me quite early and said, "No, you need this as well." And I said, "Sweet as," and they got it to me like three days before I left. So that was that was easier. But um, the so training wise, basically, I just concentrated on speeding up, and I help. I I changed how I shot fundamentally as well. So. I've historically, because we most of the stuff we do in New Zealand, you're trying to stop your gun sliding off a pole or falling down a bank or something like that. So I've, I've, I just used to shoot hand, freehand clamped on top of the scope, right? Yeah. And sort of quite a hard shouldered, um, shouldered sort of grip, and everything was quite firm. And I'd put my knee up for all my kneeling stuff, and yeah, you know, just trying to build a good solid position to compensate for the crap that we have to shoot off. No, no offence, Graham. No, I, I, I like, <laughs> I like the insults. Yeah. Um. So I thought, well, I can't do that when the targets are that little. You can't because you can't hold the gun steady enough. Um. So I. Just did a bit of practice on paper at 100 metres, just practising different positions, uh, you know, how, how I held the gun, different, yeah, just basically how I shouldered it, where my freehand sat, um, shouldering pressure, grip pressure, um, different bags, different bags and different positions, everything, you know. We just tested heaps to find what was best and basically... Uh, not quite. It's not. It's not a. Fr- it's not a free recoil position, but it's a lot softer on the gun than I was. My free hand doesn't touch the gun at all. It just sort of sits down the side of the gun, holding the bag. Um, I don't shoulder up as anywhere near as much as I used to. My grip is still very very solid, and uh, change the bags that we're using. Change the balance point in the gun by adding a bit of weight up front. Um and did away with sort of the knee up as a sort of as a support i just did away with all of that so basically unless there's proper rear support like a bag if you're prone or a pump pillow um or heaven forbid graham tripod rear support or something like that yeah if it's not solid rear support i won't use it if like the knee isn't solid because you everything's still wobbling so we've just i've just done away with it and adapted sort of a adopted a new style of of shooting which i'll we'll just refer to it as my prs style now which is when we go back to women doing the field shooting stuff i'll go back to what we had to do because otherwise the gun will fall off whatever we're shooting on so um so i practiced that in depth so it became sort of natural um really worked on getting target acquisition really fast um, on sort of higher magnification than I, was, than I was used to because the targets are quite little. Um, yeah, timing, ran it, just running stages that we'd done over there, ran them a lot. Um, skill stage two, I was just ham- I just hammer every day, you know, every second. Whenever I'm out there shooting, I'll just hammer that one as well because that's good for speeding up. And just getting more, we changed all the target sizes at home, pulled down all the big steel, put up little steel, 
because you know they're 200 200 mil diamond at three 350 and 400 meters it's too big now so we've gone down to 150 mil circles and 100 mil circles and stuff like that yeah just just to try and get more comfortable looking at them um and get confident hitting them as well quickly it's all very well shooting fast on big targets it's not teaching anything no um so i've just been hammering that and with my um with my gun i, I changed uh my 2d3 was in the hybrid um and that was completely different to my six mil project x that i shoot for competition stuff so we basically very hastily like the day i got back we pulled barrel out of one of my other project and made a 2d3 barrel exactly the same as my six mil barrel so it could go into the whiskey so I, my practice gun was exactly the same weight as my competition gun mm-hmm. um and that made a massive difference as well practicing with basically the same gun um yes yeah, so that's what i did in the three weeks between We're quite busy very um, busy it's almost sounds like you don't really work anymore um, so, <laughs> so this, so this, okay, new venue. Which part of Australia are we heading to for round? Well, your right. second round. Yep. So we went to uh, about an hour south of Sydney uh, to Hilltop in New South Wales, um, to the Carlos King of the Hill, and a very, very fancy range. Apparently, cost fourteen million Australian dollars to build it, or something stupid like. Really fancy. Yeah. Um, I heard they mow it even between events. Yeah. 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 And it was horrible weather, like torrential rain. Sydney just got absolutely hammered that weekend. The bucking match was also a mud bath. So once again, very comfortable because it was the same conditions that we have at home every match, it seems. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was, once again, all flat square range, all this stuff is only 500 metres. Um much bigger range probably 100 meters width so you could have one two three four eight eight squads shooting at once and mm-hmm. a lot more comp- a lot more competitors 80 shooters for this match 80 shooters 80 shooters on a hundred meter wide range holy shit everyone not shooting at once obviously but we had you know we had yeah. squads of um squads of eight people so you're shooting more regularly um just the that's the other thing to get used to because in New Bucking and in the in the hilltop range, it's very similar because you're very very cramped, very crowded, and you're just in shooting amongst people basically the whole time. And people are shooting five meters to your right, five meters to your left, and no such thing as a suppressor over there, obviously, because they're not allowed them. Everyone's got muzzle brakes, so mm-hmm. it's incredibly loud. And just the hustle and bustle, just having all those people around you while you're trying to concentrate on your stage and before your stage. Um, whereas in New Zealand, obviously, you, you make off you go and your squad, and you know you walk past your other squads from time to time for the day, and that's about it. You don't see anyone. But here you've got you laying down to shoot prone, and guys are bloody walking over your legs trying to get to the next stage, dragging their gear over your legs and stuff like that. So. It's a um, little bit to get used to. So, yeah, anyway, so we got there. Obviously, had my gun, my ammo, all my stuff. Um, felt a lot more confident, especially with the train we'd, training we'd been doing. And did the zero check on Friday, put the scope on, did the zero check, and 
did my yeah dope check same thing yeah 100 meter paper 500 meter steel and everything was just absolutely cock on so i was like yep this is this is mint we're going good and uh yeah read the matchbook and was happy with all of it bar one stage which we'll get to and yeah friday night felt felt good read it made some notes in the matchbook um and turned up on saturday morning at a very very leisurely hour because for some reason the range is in some sort of conservation area and you're not allowed to shoot before 10 o'clock oh you wouldn't want to wait the koala bears yeah something like that cockatoos yeah that's odd okay because i'm looking on a map and it looks like it is in the middle of fucking nowhere like yeah it just looks like scrub around it yeah i was there's one of one of the um oh the other podcasts and an aussie that i was listening to and they're talking about the same thing and the guy on that was saying yeah because of the weird uh weird sort of times everyone thought it was going to be like an, an urban range you know like <laughs> right on the outs, outskirt of town you know and you're not disturbing the neighbors but there was like no one it was just in the middle of the bush so who knows but uh, it is, was is, is what it is yep and I mean, we'd get away with it because it's so big. You get know, so many people shooting at once; it didn't matter. So, and we had to be done by four o'clock in the afternoon. So, you had a six-hour shooting window, and that was it. And we didn't start shooting till probably ten thirty on the Saturday, um, after briefing and stuff was finished, and they were still setting up the props. Ten thirty. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Casual. Yeah. Lovely. And so, yeah. By then, I was sort of anxious to get going, and we didn't know where we were starting, and. And that type of thing. And our squad, uh, we turned out, we were starting on our very first stage, and I was top of the list, so I was very first shooter. Um, we are starting on skill stage two. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I thought, here we go. You know, oh, I've, been, I've been hammering this day in, day out. This is good. It's clean plates. Um, you know, I can just shoot a good rhythm, shoot sort of, I thought I'll slow down a bit, and I'll just shoot comfortable and just concentrate on, getting yeah making sure my data's on and just get a yeah shake those first stage jitters and I'll be away and so it started eight from eight and all stacked them in the center plate and 53 or 52 seconds I believe and I felt like I was going slow as slow as buggery so uh, 53 I was pretty happy with um and in my squad was Lucas the winner of the last match um, one of the top Australian guys, so I thought, well, this is good. I'm gonna, you know, watch him closely, and this is pretty good to benchmark myself off and see how he goes for the day. And he basically, un- unfortunately, he was shooting after me every da- every stage. He was the next one down on the list, so, um, but quite good to watch how I'd do a stage and then how he'd do a stage. And we we're very, 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 very close through the whole first day. I think at the end of the day. I was one shot ahead of him. I dropped uh, nine or ten shots for the day out of seventy odd, I believe. Were you and it was nah. <laughs> no, I was just quietly just going about my work. You know, like who am I after the performance at Buckham to be sledging anyone? <laughs> you, know, you just, you just. I don't want to get No, no, no. There, um, I thought, no, I'll just, I'll just quite, yeah, you know, I just really wanted to focus on what I was doing and just try and, yeah, 
make the most of that match with my gear and with the learnings we'd done. I thought I'd take it very, very seriously, keep to myself, just read the stage briefs 20 times, you know, have a good plan, eliminate those stupid stuff-ups that sort of creep in from time to time and just see how good we can go, you know. And, and so that's what I was concentrating on. And I didn't really watch too many people apart from Lucas when he was shooting I was watching him like a hawk um and yeah so I think I was clean the first three stages possibly can't remember there's a couple of real fast stages which I got through with a little bit of time to spare so I felt really comfortable um gun was going good weather was fucking terrible was the wind <laughs> I've seen, seen in the fifth was a lot of rain but what was the wind like not too bad. I think the most we had, well, most I had out at 500 metres was about 0.8. Okay, nothing major. Nothing major. It sort of, we had the odd gust coming through. It was pretty sheltered by trees. There was talk that one side of the range was easier than the other because it was split range. And so half the shooters shot one side one day and then you shot the other side the other day. So there was a bit of you know, preempted controversy there, like, oh, shit, it's windy today and it's raining. What if it's good weather and it's no wind tomorrow? Or what if it's worse? And uh, Trent, the match director, was just like, oh, tough shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> get, yeah. get, get on with it. And the rain, it was very similar. The round count was the same on both sides. Um, so there was nothing really to whinge about. But it turns out the other side of the range was actually harder. Yeah. Um, by default, because normally on the Saturday night everyone meets up. Uh, you have a you have a dinner, so the your entry fee pays for a dinner at each match at the at the local wherever the, they're doing the prize giving and shit like that. So everyone goes there on the Saturday night and you have a dinner, talk about the day, and they normally read out top fifteen or the top ten scores um, for the day. But they obviously didn't at this one because the uh, size of the range shot so differently like split, guys on our range, yeah. So, yeah so we I was on 9 or 10 drop for the day there was guys on 6 and 7 drop for the day I believe whereas on the other side some of the top guys had dropped 20 um, so I think about then people were like oh shit maybe the ranges aren't that similar um, so and we we shot the good side on the Saturday the, the good side you know and yeah, went well. So I was pretty confident. Who knows where I was after the first day? Um, didn't really care. I'd shot pretty good. I'd made one stuff up where I, I had a, pl- a clear plan. Five there's five targets at five different ranges, and I had a clear plan that I was going to hold all of them. And usually, what I do in New Zealand or every time I shoot, if I'm going to hold. I'd always dial for the first one. Yep. And then I'll hold after that. And for some reason, I just didn't fucking dial for the first target. So I was shot. Of course, couldn't see shit because of, of the flat range. You can't see anything. And, I was, and they're pretty big targets for the for, in compared to the rest. I was like, fuck, yeah, this, I'm just going to hammer this. It's going to be piss easy. But he shot, missed. Fuck. Must be wind. Hold more wind. Shoot nothing on the second take. I was like, okay, this is um, not going well at all. Looked at my dope, and as soon as I looked at the dope, it hit me. I was like, shit, I was supposed to hold that, and I haven't looked at my turret, 
and I it was still on zero. I hadn't even dialed anything anyway. So even if I did hold, I would have held wrong. Um, so I'd quickly dialed. You had to shoot five out and then five back. So I quickly dialed for the next eight, you know, out and back and cleaned the rest of it. So um, two dropped there, and I thought, geez, that was a stupid mistake compared to the rest of the day. It's gone so good. If I miss out on something meaningful by two shots, I would have been furious by myself. Um, so I was sort of thinking about that, and I was like, no, nah, just get, that, get it out of your head. It's fine. The rest of the day has gone bloody good. Only a handful of targets missed. Um, so, yeah, felt pretty good at Saturday night at the dinner, having a good yarn to everyone. Everyone had gone, yeah, pretty good as well. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's sweet. We'll just, yeah, next day, new day, start again. So the first stage on the Sunday um, was a cinder block wall, five positions, uh, two, two uh, near far, target off each position and the first target was 300 meters and it was 90 mils i believe so small yeah fuck yeah very <clears throat> small and the second target was 120 mils at 500 so also very small and i don't think too much of it i just thought oh this is okay you know because we've been shooting little stuff and it was 10 shots 90 seconds five different positions um but you couldn't use any gear at all the cinder block wall and they had sort of a sack filled with some sand which didn't actually feel too bad when you held it um when you chucked your gun on it it wasn't great at all um and i only ended up with four out of ten i think i only fired seven shots because it was just so hard to hold on those little targets and with that shitty sandbag it was basically impossible to hold on the target anyway well i i found it was and so all my confidence from the first day was just right there, obliterated. I thought, damn it, you know. Yeah. If I was doing well, now I'm not. I'm doing shit, you know. I've dropped six shots on the first stage of the day, and we've got another uh, seven stages to shoot. So went th- that sort of dragged me down a lot, and the second stage didn't go particularly well either, probably because of my mental state can't even think what it was now but it doesn't matter it doesn't go very well and then it picked up considerably towards the end and all in the back of my mind the whole day was I knew that the last stage of the day was going to be a fully unsupported sling stage yeah boy no (laughs) so I was just thinking the whole time I was thinking man I need as many hits as I can because I'm going to get zero on that stage like I'd talked myself into getting zero and on the first day I'd walked across just to have a look at that stage to see how other people are going. We had a bit of downtime and Ash, who was the eventual winner of the match, who had won two other matches this season before the before the Bucken match that I went to. So basically and he won the uh I don't know, he wins he wins a lot. Um I thought, Oh yeah, he He's shooting, shit, I'll watch him, this will be good, this will give us a good benchmark of what unsupported shooting in Australia is like, so, watched him get one on that stage. Oh, one. One, yep. Yep. And so I thought, oh, we're, we're screwed, like, that's it, there's no hope for the rest of us, <laughs> if he's getting one, like, I'm definitely getting zero, like, that's it, I was just like, sweet ass, zero, I am happy, 
that's fine. I'm happy with that. So I'll just get as many points as I can for the rest of the day. So that I was feeling pressure of that. Every shot I was dropping, I was like, damn it, this is one more I have to try and get on the uh, unsupported stage, which is impossible. Um, so I had a pretty good run for the rest of the day. Didn't drop too many others after the first two stages were balls up. Um, didn't make any more mental mistakes about not dialing or stuff like that. It was just purely bad wind calls or just running out of time. I think I timed out on one or just shitty, you know, just a bit shaky. Um, and then got to the last stage, which was the unsupported, and... I was just, I was just thinking, no, zero. If I get zero, I'm happy, you know. And everyone's saying, oh, he uses sling, and I was like, I don't know how to use it, so there's no point. So I'm just going to shoot, and if I hit one, I hit one. It's perfect. So what the stage consisted of was a three, uh, three hundred ninety-five mil, or basically four hundred mil plate at five hundred meters, mm-hmm. and a three hundred and three fifty. What stage is this? Um, yep there we go and a 350 mil target at 350 metres and so easy Easy 100 bucks yeah probably for you (laughs) so what you had to do was fire it was 10 shot stage in 2 minutes so you had to fire 3 rounds unsupported prone at the 500 metre target and then 3 shots unsupported sitting at the near target, and then four shots unsupported standing at the near target. Um, had to do it in that order. All the equipment to be used was sling or a pump pillow, but the pump pillow couldn't touch your gun in any way and uh, couldn't touch your basically your support arm. So if you're prone, you couldn't put it under your forearm or anything like that. Yeah. And you couldn't put it under the stock. You could sort of have it under your chest, maybe, if it didn't touch your gun. Um, and so basically it was just there for no reason because it didn't help at all, apart from the standing. Um, so I hit none prone. I was very close, and some of the shots felt good, but, uh, nah, didn't, no joy. Hit the last one sitting, I believe. Um, once again, other two shots felt not too bad. Very, very close. Last one hit it dead centre which is probably more fluke than anything um, mm. and then the four standing I was happy if I didn't even shoot them you know like I just <laughs> didn't even care I'd go, <laughs> I got one sh- one hit I was happy I was like you know it's fine and then I looked at the clock and I had like 30 seconds left because they're holding the shot timer in front of my face so I was like oh yeah I'll fire some first one missed by about 3 metres probably just way off um Second one was a bit closer. Third one was a bit closer again. And then fourth one, as I was sort of closing the bolt, looked at the timer and I had four seconds to go. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll just get this shot away. And I sort of swept past it and bang and hit it. And I was stoked, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, well, not really, but for you. turns out it... Yeah, turns out it was actually the average score for the whole match. I think the someone got five. Yeah. A couple of people got four. And then it was threes and twos and ones, and probably a third of the field got zero. Shit. Um, but it was hard, you know, like heavy, big, heavy guns. My gun was one of the lightest ones there, and it's not light anyway. Um, 
and they're little targets, especially for standing and sitting, well, and everything, just little. And yeah, so I was I was happy. So I got two hits there, so I was pretty happy. You know, finished on. When you finish on a two out of ten, and you're absolutely ecstatic, it's uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of didn't really know how I'd done. I'd um, all the only other guy I had to sort of to work off was Lucas. I was keeping track of his score, and I knew I'd got him by about five hits. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, didn't really know anyone else had done. Um, I was hearing good things from that people had dropped bugger all on the other side of the range, so I thought, oh yeah, we'll see. I, I thought I'd be somewhere, sort of maybe maybe fifth or something like that. And yeah, it turns out I ended up uh, second, which was ideal. For the overall for the weekend? Yep. Wow, that's pretty fucking... That's a huge improvement from 14th. Well, 14th out of 42 shooters or whatever to second out of 80. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, um, as well, and I was finished on ninety five. Uh, where am I? Looking at ninety five point two percent of the winner's score. So I was, I was six hits behind Ash. Ash ended up winning. I was six hits. Yeah. Uh, I was on one hundred nineteen. He was on one hundred twenty five. Out of one hundred fifty two fired, I think for the weekend. Yep. So over your first match, because I've got this, your standings up here too, you, you just just under thirty percent improvement of the winners' score. Yes, um, that's pretty awesome. Um, very very good. It's, it's just a big. It just I was a little bit. It just made me more angry about the first match. You know, I was just like, damn it. You know, like if I'd been. Well, uh, the percentage was never going to be much. Well, it would have been better, but it was not just because Lucas had just smashed everyone so badly, but if I could have got up into the 70s, 70%, um, I would have been higher in the stand. But it doesn't matter because they only take your best two through there. So if I can get another one in the mid-90s, it'll bump me right up. Yeah, well, you current 18th currently. But yeah, like you said, there's a... Yeah, awesome. Well, if you... Yeah, if you... If you add another not somewhere in the nineties, then it's up That'll to like fourth, yeah. yeah, third or fourth. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, feeling a lot more confident now. So obviously, um, obviously, the the level of competition, um, these guys have been shooting these sort of um, harder matches, these small targets for longer. The level of competition is obviously very high. Yes. So how many, like, say, <clears throat> say in a standard match in New Zealand, you might have sort of maybe three guys going for the win. Um, with obviously there's split classes but um, there is there maybe 10 12 guys who can take the win potentially uh, probably realistically not it's probably still only 6 or 7 guys yeah. um, from, from what I've seen um, but those 6 or 7 guys are, they're elite shooters you mm-hmm. know like they they have all gone and shot in the US before. Um, number of them have shot in the US finale before, um, and they do pretty good, you know, over there. I think a couple of them were top twenty or something at the finale last year. Yeah, which is nothing to scoff at. That's uh, the elite, the essentially essentially the Olympic level of. Um... Well, that, that's out of like 250 shooters, and that's the yeah. 250 best PRS shooters in the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
out of the five or six guys they sent last year, I think they're all in the top 80 or something like that. Um, so once again, it doesn't sound like much because it's been the top 80, but when you're talking, that is that is the that is the final. You know, that's it. And, that's and, the best. And to be fair, like in the, the the American level, a lot of these top top guys, they they shoot. That's what they do. They're not working yes. under five. They've got pallet loads of ammo, of projectiles, components, new barrels, everything. It's all there. Um, yeah, it's, and 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 travels. Yeah, again, it's a professional for for some. Not all of them, but there's definitely a reasonable amount. And a couple of them after the next match in Little River next week, a couple of them are going over to the US for four or five weeks to shoot four or five matches um, before. while well, they've got a bit of a gap in the series. Yeah, so, the, yeah, the, the level, like any one of their top ten guys would come over here and potentially be first or second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you if you got outside of the top three guys here, if you're like consistently fourth or fifth and go over here, you're probably realistically going to be uh, a little bit better than midfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's if you're like do pretty good, like fourth or fifth. If you're if you're like top ten, if you're like a tenth place shooter here and you go over there, you're coming in the bottom half every match. Yeah. Um, and just the, it's just so different, you know. It's um, it's a big, big step up. And, yeah, once again, the level, of, just the level of equipment. You look down the firing line, yeah. There's probably over a million dollars worth of guns at that Sydney match. Um, oh, oh. So what does uh, say Ash use? Good question. <laughs> everything's everything's one, custom barrel. One of those um, er- Tika RPRs. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, <laughs> um, just, you know, I got a good. Right? I got a good. I got a good look at Lucas's gun for the um yeah. for the weekend. It's in a, a whiskey three comp with enclosed four end uh, defiance action. I think. Yeah. Um, can't remember the barrel. Um, can't remember the scope, but I'm pretty sure it was a night force. Pretty sure it was an ATAC. Yeah. Um, yeah, like everything's everything's custom. Like you, you look down, basically eighty percent of the scopes are all night force. Yeah, sixty yeah. percent of that, eighty percent are all ATAX. Yeah, um, everything's in a chassis. Everything's in a really good chassis. There's a lot of um, impact precision actions, a lot of defiance actions. Huh. Um, all the, all yeah, just all the good high end, really good American stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's everything. You know, you you just look down the on the racks where the guns are because everything's on a wooden rack. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money sitting either side of my rifle. There's also know. um a lot more sort of um sort of team style stuff over there, isn't there? Like as in like um like say you and Ian shoot Hardy, right? Yeah, more of that kind of thing than here. Sponsor, uh, yeah, sponsor so, shooters, I should say. Yeah, like um Delta Tactical. Which is Accuracy International, yeah, yeah, printed. It's fine. Yep, yeah. Oh, there's 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 great there's race shirts everywhere over there. It's bloody. It just yeah looks very looks very. So you don't look you don't look out of place like you do in New Zealand. No, but the thing is, (laughs) (laughs) ironically, 
it was, it was so it's been so cold and shit both times I've been over there. I haven't even worn it. <laughs> It's been, been, been buried under my raincoat. To be fair, the only time I've seen it recently in New Zealand it was in Pew Pew. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Where it wasn't raining. No, it was quite nice. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, the, the Accuracy International Delta Tactical, there's four or five guys in that sort of team. ATXs, and, yep. Yeah, and Would, they're basically all sort of top eight shooters. Which, those, those rifles are... A pretty much a custom gun you buy off the shelf anyway quality wise and um now do they here's the thing so they only released in in, in 6.5 creedmoor but they take the the um prefits for which all the 80s run so are they running them in creedmoor do you know and it's got a funny question or are they running like proof research prefits on them and like dasher and gt and whatever i saw one six creed yeah I didn't pay too much. I haven't been squatted with any of them yet, yeah. apart from one guy at Buckin, and he was shooting the Six Creed in in one. Um, but yeah, that's all I've seen so far. But the ca- caliber wise, for everyone else, there's basically uh, BR, BRA, Dasher, GT, the odd Creed more. Um, any boomer shooting three hundred eight? Yep, yep. Oh, what the three hundred eight? Ah. Jeez, we've got like two of them left in, you know. It's heaps. I believe, I, I believe at one match, either one, I think it was one of the ones that I was, I think someone was shooting a three hundred wind mag. Ooh. At a 500 <laughs> metre match? Damn. Oh yeah, it was it was destroying targets left, right and centre. Ooh. Um, but it's all, you know, they're all 20, 25 pound or heavier guns, all six BRA, six dasher, super low recoiling, you know, all braked. Very, very low, re- yeah, just nothing. No, don't even move. Yeah. But that's the name of the game. Um, weights bolted on top of weights. <laughs> it's um, a different world, lot of, isn't it? A lot of foundation stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen one of those here, ever. Yeah, they're, they're cool. Yeah. You know, they've got that classic look with the chassis feel and weight, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I've never seen one either, and then I was like, wow, they look... They look Good. They not look they're classy. Not fucking cheap. I can tell you that much. I looked them up once. And um, thinking, oh, they'd be cool to import. And then, nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, Ash, Ash runs one of them on his gun. I'm not sure what barrel he's runs an ATAC. I'm not sure what action either. I haven't seen it up close, but it's um yeah everything's everything's a nice gun. Don't get me wrong. There's still a couple of um like you still see the odd TAC A1 and Woo. that type of thing. <laughs> um, but it's generally yeah. it's generally not in the competitive end of the field. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> it's all um yeah. So it's, it's all... just a piss trip then. Okay, for yeah. me. You don't drink anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh yeah, damn. that's right. Um, damn it. Okay, so that, no, so it's so it sounds like they're a couple in, in sort of progression and matches and everything. They're a few steps ahead. Um, so it sounds pretty awesome. So the matches, obviously you talked about there's a range booklet provided. Um, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm not doing that. I know people will ask. I'm not giving you a range booklet they have for, but they seem oh, well yeah. run, professional, like their um, yes. uh, the organization, everything. Just looking on their website, the, the website's awesome. Uh, it's easy to use. Their uh, branding for each event is, they've got a wicked graphic designer, like, and they come up with names well, we plagiarise it. Yeah, plagiarise it, Graham. <laughs> so, Mark Andrews, King of the Hill, 
Yeah. <laughs> King, King of Mount Doom. Uh, you know, like, but no, just like the images. Um, they're really. They've obviously yeah. Someone's an awesome graphic designer. The heat um, stroke open. Oh, heat, that one. heat stroke. We could have the cock stroke open. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna win that one. Um, no, but oh, yeah. Steel Apocalypse. That's cool, man. That's fucking awesome. They got yeah, but. That all seems super professional. I understand why. No, I imagine Rusty's got something to do with it. He, he's um, yeah has a few businesses selling stuff. So the level that's... of organisation seems awesome, and that's the same in the matches. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, very, very re- well run. You know, like yeah, every stage has a couple of ROs. Um, you know, they're doing the competitors are doing basically nothing apart from shooting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the every, everything right from sort of sign in like the the sign in Sydney match was you got emailed uh, when you got your match ticket sent to you had a QR code on it. So to sign in, they're both they're scanning your QR code, you know, and that's got all your oh, details. Man, like really really cool stuff. You know, it's just easy too because when they're trying to process that number of people in yeah. a short time, you just turn up. Oh, where's your code? Yeah, scan that. Mean you're, you're signed in. I have I have uh, thought about taking away the paper and just running it directly off my program on you know as in signing in instead of people anyway but nothing that flash that's for sure um all the all the scoring and stuff's all on practice score yeah um no the competitors aren't doing it the ro's are doing it you just you know you confirm it they make you confirm your score at the end of each stage they'll show it to you you have to push approve not them, so then, you know, it's your problem if it's wrong. Um, it's, yeah, everything, everything's pretty cl- pretty well done. Obviously, the ranges are incredibly strict with what you can and can't do. There's no handling of firearms, um, you know, when you're not shooting. You, every stage is, you start stage, mag in hand, chamber flag, and the RO will tag low to make ready. Once you're happy with the stage and remove your chamber flag, they'll keep it in their pocket. They put your chamber flag back in. Yep. Basically taking all the responsibility away from the competitor. You know, the safety is um, pretty strict. But, so they, they're doing a similar thing. They're like mag has to be out, flag has to be in before the rifle can be moved off the line? Yes. Okay, so same as the T- GPRE and TLRE stuff. That's cool. That's yep, yep. Yeah. They won't put your they won't put your flag in until your mag is out. Yeah, and awesome. um yep. and you can't lift it up from whatever you're doing until you know, until your mag is out and the flag is in, then you can pull it away. No, that's good. Yeah. Um you can still like if yeah if you're the next shooter, because you're effectively on the firing line, if you want to you know, like jump down and check your just have a quick look, check your parallax and look through your scope, like they're happy for you to do that as long as your chain flags and your mag's not in. Yeah. And stuff like that, but if you're standing there waiting to shoot behind the firing line, you yeah, your rifle's point straighted point up, um, pointed straight up at the roof, and 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 that's it. Um, yeah, there's seems to be very few safety issues. They only had one sort of ND for the week for the weekend of all those competitors and all those shots, whereas rifle had basically fallen forward off the barricade, a slippery box that you had to set up. Uh, your rifle on a bipod on is sort of a crate that you're stacking crates on and rifle fell off the front well, when the bolt was closed and the competitor already had his finger on the trigger ready to go uh, and yeah. it basically fell off the, fell off the front and he went and it sort of you know, pulled, the, pulled the gun yeah. 
pulled the trigger as it went and the round impact of the gravel about a meter in front of the muzzle mm-hmm. um and yeah pretty sure they told him to pack up and uh did he get a match dq pretty sure he did yeah shit yeah they that's that's yeah. a hard one eh? because it's like a, a not a, like a it was fully it was fully accidental yeah like not even a bit like it was pointing down um not even a skyward one yeah really not was well, probably still his fault because he should have been better with his bipod but it was right on the edge and it just fell forward but it could have happened to anyone you know yeah um yeah like at the at the bucket match if you had a a range invasion by a kangaroo or something you had to stop shooting immediately can you not shoot them no not on the range okay yeah um we had one hop onto the range at sydney but apparently it's different in that state you don't have to stop so everyone just um kept shooting and the kangaroo just sort of sat there in the middle of the range (laughs) um yeah they've uh, everything's under the the arrows like the actual rate like the overall range officer like if if target goes down they'll stop everything and go and fix it Mm -hmm. um and the sydney one had strobe lights and stuff all the way down the firing line that they'd flash at you and they had allowed a pa system speakers behind every shooting station so the the range officers just standing there back in the office with a microphone talking to us all right ceasefire now lights would come on you step back behind the yeah, behind the safety line, and they'd go out and do their thing, and then and then carry on. So it was, it was it was run very well, you know, as you'd expect when you've got that number of competitors trying to go through that number of rounds over two days. It sort of has to in a in a space like that, confined space like that. You know, there's plenty yeah. of opportunities for something to go wrong. Yeah, oh, it sounds like they got their um ducks in a row that's for sure the only uh the only sort of issue gun issue was um not a safety one the, all the guns were on the rack and for some reason one squad you had 10 down each side and one squad had picked up all their guns to move to the next station and there was like one left on that side and it just so happened that when old mate lifted the one gun up the balance point of the rack that was that was all that was holding it and so the rack just toppled over onto the concrete um and someone sacrificed themselves, like literally just threw themselves on the ground underneath all these guns and all the guns landed on them. Um, and I think only two hit the concrete, <laughs> which is st- still not great. But yeah, um, yeah, that was the only sort of gun-related so, issue. So they have racks, so when you're not shooting, your, your rifle's stowed in the rack? Yes. Okay, cool. Yep. That's, that's a good idea. Has, has to be in the rack and when you get to the range um you're not allowed to you can't you gotta you can't just bring your rifle up put it in the rack you have to everyone has to bring it up together you have to bring your box to the firing line unbox put your gun straight in the rack with chain flag and then remove your boxes and same with unbox uh putting them back in the boxes um everyone has to do it at once you're told right box your rifles up now go forward and do that and you take them away um, so pretty strict about that. You can't just be walking in and out of the car park with the rifle. It's got to be, um, yeah, fully boxed up, bulked okay. out, all, yeah. that, all yeah. that thing. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of on, on command. When you sign in, you've got to wait for them to say, everyone, right, go get your rifles, bring them up and unbox them, and then you get into that. So, 
Yeah, and I mean it's probably normal on square ranges like that. It's probably normal on square ranges in New Zealand, but we just I just never shoot on them, so I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like you had a pretty awesome time over there, and some, and and, and obviously more to come. Um, hmm. Yeah. So one thing I should ask earlier, but was there any um, obviously different props and stuff? Were there any standout stages for you that were really cool? You enjoyed? That's a five minute warning. Hmm. Um, mm, yeah, just flicking through the books now. A lot of them um, clearly wasn't the unsupported one. That one was shit. <laughs> uh, I'm quite liking the the ones with a lot of movement because it's what we're used to. There's one at Sydney, which is called Terranium, Ter- Terranium Enclosure, which was 15 rounds and three minutes from five different positions I think and it was all uh, animal silhouettes like rabbit and fox and stuff like that different distances that one was and it was they had fake rocks because obviously they don't have real rocks in the range so they just had these fake polystyrene rocks and some logs that they dragged in and that felt like you know sort of like New Zealand until you were kneeling on concrete yeah um, and the other one called Junkyard, which was the same 14 rounds and three minutes, and I think that had seven different positions, two rounds from each position, and it was just off stuff, you know, like pipes and barrels and whatever else. And those ones, and we've had a few of them, uh, two of them at Sydney, the two long ones, I quite like that. And then at the bucking match, we had one where we had to shoot off a tripod through a tyre, a loophole of tyres, um, for three shots, then you had to jump inside a van, shoot through the van off your tripod. So you had to set up your van, uh, tripod in the van, shoot for four shots, I think, three or four shots. Mm-hmm. Then you had to ditch your tripod, and there was a crate there that you could use, do the same three or four shots. Then you had to go through the van lengthways with your tripod, set up your tripod out the back of the van, and you had to be sitting in the van still, and your gun had to be out of the van, and you engage another four targets, I believe. It was a hell of a... I think it was 18 rounds that stage. Ooh. In five minutes, mm-hmm. um, with four major position changes, and setting up your tripod from scratch, effectively, three times yeah, in that, that time. Cool. Yeah, That was cool. Yeah. Those, ones, those ones I really like, because it's more like what we do at home, apart from the massive round counts that go with those stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like 15, 16, 18 rounds. Man, that the gun's cooking. Yeah, <laughs> I did see some videos of the the van. It's a prop that looked awesome, actually. I'm just trying to. The trouble for us would be trying to convince someone to let us use their van, and the second would be trying to get a van onto a wet farm. It'd be a bloody. Can't have, <laughs> can't have been any worse than that. I think there was ten people had to push it in because it was just stuck, and then. They're probably still trying to get the mud out of it because everyone was just filthy, yeah, <laughs> and nothing you could do about it. But those long stages, I mean, and the only reason being is that yeah, that they are like some of the cool stages we have here, where you've got a lot of movement, you're moving in, you're yeah, setting up in completely different positions. The only thing that our stages don't have that is similar to there is the massive round count to go with it. Yep. Um, everything over there, if there's very few stages where they don't make you do a mag change. Um, the 90-second ones, they generally don't. Any two-minute stage, 
normally has too many rounds that you have to do a mag change anyway, um, or they'll force you to do a mag change. Um, one stage we had we had two sort of mini rooftops, and it was twelve shots, two minutes, and you had to do two rounds on one on a near target, and then drop your mag, go to the other rooftop, put a new mag in, do two rounds at a far target, drop your mag, and repeat until you'd fired twelve shots. So you're basically doing uh, six mag changes as well, and six position changes. Yeah, um, two minute so warning. Just... Two minutes for what? <laughs> what's the two minute warning? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Mark might be going to bed. Anyway, so oh yeah, so probably. That's so that's yeah, that's the difference too, because that's for me that's like an unpractical thing, but for there it's a, the Paris game, isn't it? So that dropping a mag and reinserting it, dropping a mag. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of the a lot of the um, state two minute stages are all twelve minutes, but uh, most of the states over there will let you have twelve round mag. So yeah, um, but like New South Wales, you can only have ten round mag. So they'll even though it's twelve round stage, a lot of guys can fit twelve rounds in, but they'll force you to do a mag change because the New South Wales guys only have ten round mags. Um, so. Yeah, and 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 you can't do a like out of your out of your match saver. You can't just throw two in if it specifically says a mag change. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, like that type of thing. We never do mag changes in New Zealand. Well, hardly ever, apart from some of the twenty-two stuff. We'd hardly ever do it in Centrefire. So that was a new skill to learn how to do that quickly, um, as well. And yeah, so there's plenty. There's plenty different that I had to practice. So once again, when I was doing my, I'd just throw a mag change into all my practice. I'd just be like, yeah, three shots, drop the mag, put a new one in. Three shots somewhere else, or two shots, drop the mag, put a new one in. Two shots from that position, and I'll just, yeah, mainly with the twenty-two, you just go through twenty shots like that. And if you're on the two-to-three, I'll just do one shot mag change, one shot mag change, one shot mag change, changing position at the same time. Um, like the positional build and break stuff we were doing the other day mm-hmm. at your place, but throw a mag change in there as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, so just get you get you used to it. Awesome. So when's yeah. your next when's your next one in two weeks? Um, Thursday next Thursday I fly out. One week. One week. Um, yeah, one week exactly. I'll be back to Melbourne so um, 30th, to Little River. 30th, yeah. Yep. Um, so similar again. I believe this one's sixty sixty shooters. I think um, this range is where the finale will also be held. Um, slightly sort of uphill range, I believe. Sort of just shooting up into a bit of a hill face. I think it's only six hundred meters. Um, again, it's sort of big boulder field up on this hill that you're sort of shooting into, which sounds quite cool. Apparently, it's quite scenic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, also to get a good feel for there before the finale in a few months. Um, so yeah, high high hopes for that one. So hopefully we go as good um, and carry on the the good form. But been practicing just as hard as I was for the second one. So yeah, fingers crossed. No, awesome. I'm sure you will do well. So we'll probably catch up with you a couple of weeks after that. That you sort of get a breather. Yep. In. We'll do another. Another chat. We'll maybe mix something else in between then. But um, thank you for coming on. This is about a hundred minutes. So I'll actually split this into two episodes um, for each 
each one for those who are listening. But um, no, yeah. don't split it. No, 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 no. Mark, you don't even listen to our podcast. You're too busy listening to like um, Alex Jones and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even think he's been listening for half of this one. No, no, he's probably, he's probably counting his um, his pig tally for the year. Anyway, we'll um, we'll wrap it up there <laughs> because, and uh, we will talk to you all again soon. See you later. We're good. See ya.